Our scripture reading for today is taken from 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 15. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would increase our faith through them. Amen. You may be seated. When I was a student in Bethany Seminary, one of our professors was teaching a class also here at uh, the college. And so he had classes at both institutions. And he was teaching us in a class of evangelism and asked us to go over and interview one of his college students. So what he did was he lined up each one of us seminary students with a college student from his religion course that we were supposed to interview. And the idea was that the student was supposed to kind of role play to pretend to be an unbeliever and that we would talk to them and try to feel what it would be like to, to talk to somebody who's not a, a Christian and uh, try to see what it would be like to evangelize with them. So it was a good role-playing situation. So I came over to the library and met this young lady I was assigned to talk to, and uh, she was very nice. And we spent the first probably 20 minutes just getting to know each other, talking a little bit where she was from and how she grew up and how she came to Bethany, things like that. And it became very apparent to me in our discussion for those 20 minutes before we got to the role-playing that she really didn't know the gospel that she really did not believe in Christ as her Savior. And um, so as we kept talking and everything, we finally got done with some of the preliminary things, and she said, well, we should probably get to the role-playing part now and, and you know, take time to do that. And in the meantime, just in casual, natural conversation, I had actually presented the gospel to her already. And I said, you know, I think we've already done that. And she said, oh, okay. <laughs> it was a good lesson for me in a couple ways. First of all, you don't have to look too far to find somebody that doesn't know the gospel. Right on this campus, right in the lunchroom with us. But in addition to that, it also taught me something that I, had, I even had a little bit of trepidation going into that conversation because of someone pretending to be an unbeliever. And it taught me that just through a natural course of conversation and getting to know a person, there was a way that I could present the gospel and it wasn't intimidating at all. It was a very good lesson for me to teach me to not be quite as afraid. Why, why do we get a little bit afraid of having to talk to people about Christ? Well, we know that sometimes there's going to be some animosity toward that. Sometimes we're talking about some of the most sensitive issues in a person's life. And that might be kind of, kind of difficult. Even Peter, who wrote our text, think about it. What's the most famous story that you remember about Peter from the Bible? Probably denying that he knew Christ. Why? Because he was in, the, in a little fireside chat with some people, and he knew that at that moment, if he appeared to be connected to this Jesus that was being put on trial, it could possibly mean his own life. So he, his fear caused him to even even deny that he knew anything about Christ. Isn't it ironic that God uses him 
who's maybe best known for that, God uses him to be the one to write to us and encourage us to be prepared to give an answer to people, to give a defense of the Christian faith and to present Christ to people. We understand that trepidation. We understand that the unbelieving world looks at matters of how we relate to God as something that's kind of a fearful thing and something that, that uh, it makes it very hard for us to, to talk about at times. And so it's very easy for us, like we're doing right now, to sit among fellow believers and to talk about our faith among fellow believers. But somebody who's outside of the church, somebody who's not a part of the flock of Christ, that's often a very intimidating thing. And there are times when, because of the context and the situation, it might be so difficult and the gospel might be so maligned that, as Jesus says, there may be times, he says, do not cast your pearls before swine. And that certainly may happen. But when it comes to us speaking about our faith, it's interesting that in Scripture, first of all, there aren't a whole lot of commands, even in the New Testament, to do this. And I'll get to that in a minute. But God doesn't motivate us to talk about our faith with people based on the law. He doesn't threaten you into telling people about Christ. He doesn't condemn you and things and, and put pressure on you to have to do it based on the law. No, the motivation for talking to people about our Savior comes from the gospel itself. It's to be motivated by the love that God has shown us through Christ. The hope that we have that's inside of us because of what Jesus has come to do. Think about yourself. Think about the hope that you have as a Christian about your future. You have the hope knowing that all of your sins has been paid for by Christ. I don't care what they are, how bad they've been. His blood has atoned for all of that. You have the sure hope that on judgment day, by faith in him, God is going to welcome you into heaven and is going to say, please, come on in. This is the home that your Savior has prepared for you. You're going to get to live in the bliss of the angels with fellow saints of God someday in heaven. Not because of anything you've done, but totally because of what your Savior has done for you. And not only that, but even the life you have now ahead of you in this world, as many years as that may take for you to go to heaven, you also have the hope that God is going to guide you and walk you through that whole life, knowing that his ultimate goal for you is to take you through the doors of heaven to your new home. So that's the hope that we have because of what our Lord Jesus has done for us, dying and rising again to give us the hope of our own resurrection and future glory. That's the hope that, that Peter is talking about that we have inside of us. And that becomes the, the, the battery. That becomes the charge inside of the Christian that motivates him or her to want to talk about that faith, that same wonderful hope we have to other people. Think about how, how you often see this happen right away. One of the first grapes that grows on the branch that gets connected to Christ is evangelism. Think about uh, the thief on the cross. In his dying moments, he becomes a believer in Christ and gets promised paradise. What's he doing in that situation? He starts to rebuke the other thief in hopes of convincing him to also be penitent of his sins and be forgiven through Christ. Think about the woman at the well. This woman who's had five husbands and she's now living with a guy outside of marriage, completely contrary to the word of God, doing something that's completely sinful before God. 
And Jesus now comes and talks to her about this and pricks her conscience with that and talks to her about himself being the water of life to give her the hope of heaven and so on. What does she do? We hear that she goes back to her town and tells people they've got to come out and hear this Jesus. The jailer at Philippi, as soon as he's converted, he goes back to his family, wants to make sure that they know about it. So evangelism is often the first grape that grows on the branch of the vine that is truly connected, connected to the vine of Christ. St. Paul said this to the Romans, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Notice the connection from Christ to your heart to your mouth. Okay, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And who knows how God might use even the smallest little confessions about your faith at times. When I was a kid, I used to love the story of, the, of Naaman, who uh, had leprosy. He was a Syrian commander, and they had already taken captive the, uh, the Israeli people. And this little, we're told she was a young girl who was a slave girl in his house, uh, told his wife about, about the prophet back in Israel who could heal him and directed him, in a sense, to the power of God. Her little confession of her faith um, caused that whole story to take place. My dad was a pastor up in Grand Forks, Minnesota, and he said that uh, quite frequently a woman in his church would sit in the back pew with her little kids. She was a single mom, and that uh, there was often a, a woman with her. And uh, he asked her one day, where do you find all these people you get to invite to church? He said, she said, at the laundromat. That was where she had little conversations with people and said, you should just come to my church. I had a woman up in, in Minneapolis who uh, uh, was in a wheelchair. She was in her 90s. I'd go see her in the nursing home. One day she contacted me and said, when you come today to bring me the Lord's Supper, please bring along any information on how to talk to an atheist. There's a man here who's in his 90s who's an atheist, and I want to try to talk to him about Christ. You just can't shut up the church, you know? When you have this precious hope that's inside of you, and you know what it means for you, and you want others to have it, there's, it's just going to find a way to come out. I want to end with a story about this very text that you're going to find a little bit funny, maybe, but a little bit ironic. So, the third year that I came here to teach at Bethany... Uh, I was asked to go up and preach at a church in Midland, Michigan. And uh, the, uh, the, there was a big youth rally that had gathered. And that Sunday, the pastor asked me to preach on this very text. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in you and so on. So I preached that Sunday. Four hours later, I got on an airplane in Detroit to fly back to Minneapolis. It's only about a one-hour flight. And I was sitting next to a young man who happened to love baseball like I do, and we started talking sports and everything. And he finally asked me the question I was hoping he would never ask me, what do you do for a living? And I was like, oh, great, here we go. And I told him I'm a Lutheran pastor, and I serve at this college and everything, and I thought he's going to probably stop talking to me. And he started telling me about the horrible, horrible things that had happened to his family because of his church that he went to. And he went on to explain things about his church. He went to a church that taught him that part of what gets you to heaven is how good of a person you can be and how well you can live your life. And uh, anyway, he and his family pretty much had walked away from the church. 
But then he wanted to know the difference between what I taught and believed and what his church taught and believed. And so I took out my napkin and I tore it in half. And I used an illustration that my grandfather used to use, one of the simplest ways to present Christ to people. And I put my name on one of the torn napkins and I started to write down all of my sins on that napkin, all the ways I'd offended God. And then I put the name Jesus on the other side and left it blank. And I wanted to show him how all the wickedness in my life is so different from the perfect, pure life of Jesus Christ. And if I plan to be led into heaven someday based on my list, I would be terrified. You, you would be too. But then I said, this is what God tells us he's done for us in Scripture. I tore the names off the top and I switched them on the list. And I said, God has put my sins and yours too under the name of Jesus Christ. That's why he went to the cross. That's why God had to damn him in hell to pay for our sins. And then I put my name over on the list that was perfect. And I said, God has now, through faith, gives us credit for what Jesus has done. And he's done that for you and everybody else. And faith is what possesses all of this. Simple little illustration. Probably took about two minutes to go through the whole thing. He said, I've never heard that before. I took down his name. I sent it to a pastor in the Detroit area where he was from. I don't know what happened. I don't know if he ever went to church again or not. God doesn't make me responsible for that. But he did put me in a situation. What irony, though. Just hours before, I had been preaching to people about always being ready, and God decided, you know what? I'm going to make this little preacher have to do that in just a few hours. Sometimes there might be very simple ways that you and I can confess Christ. But won't it be wonderful in heaven to find out all of the ways that in some way, shape, or form, whether it's through your offerings, whether it's through your prayers, whether it's through little comments that you make or little evangelism opportunities, whatever it is, won't it be wonderful in heaven to find out all the different ways that God used the members of his church who love Christ and have this hope that we confessed him in some way, shape, or form to help others be there. In the same way that someone confessed that Savior to you so that you could end up being there as well. What a joyful day that's going to be. Live for that. Work for that. Amen.